I didn't have a children's sermon uh, this morning. I usually like to do that on Palm Sunday. So, yes, kids, we will have palm branches for all of you as you leave. Be able to take them out into the parking lot and fight with one another like they're swords. Whip each other with... Uh, don't do that, but I know some of you have a hard time not doing that kind of thing. The, uh, the tiny Adam, the tiny Adam wanted its power to be released to serve man. We didn't know, did we? that since the beginning of time, God had planted unimaginable energy for us in the Adam. The Adam then waited another 1,900 years from the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ until Jesus disclosed its significance to scientists like Ernest Rutherford and Niels Bohr, James Chadwick, J.D. Cockcroft, Ernest Walton, M. Stanley Livingston, Milton White, Ernest O'Lawrence, Otto Hahn, Fritz Strassmann, Otto Frisch, and Lisa Meitner. These people, whose names you don't know, probably, we're working on different projects in various places across the globe, but the time came and the atom was split. Nuclear energy was its gift for man's use. Of course, it needs more work. We have to learn better ways to deal with the dangers of its byproducts, radioactive waste. But what a huge difference it is, efficiently and cleanly providing electricity for people across the world, as compared to coal burning and other ways that electricity have been created for hundreds of years. Well... I gotta be careful with the hundreds comment, but but we'll we'll be showing that too. How to take care of these things? I was on a survey trip in Iowa uh, at an energy plant, and um, as we're driving along, and I'm looking at doors on locks on doors and so on, we're driving past a lot of these um, solar panels that were also at this site. The site was a natural gas. Um, produ uh, production plant. But as we looked at these uh, solar panels, I said afterwards to the guy we were, I was driving with, I said, listen, what I hear as this solar energy, it doesn't, it doesn't pay for itself at all. And I also hear that the wind turbines, it would never make it if it had to rely on its own financial um, Capital, okay, as a business, in other words, it would never make it. He said, no, it wouldn't, neither one. He says, they're all subsidized by government money. 
And I don't agree so much with the subsidies of government money for such things, but I don't doubt that we've come a long way in regard to solar energy, and we come a long way in regard to harnessing energy from the wind, and that maybe Christ will open those doors further for us to learn from as well. But I said to the guy, I said, uh, tell me, please, that they haven't walked away from nuclear energy because of the harmful effects it can have. He says, no, they haven't, because I know they've actually closed down nuclear plants because of their concern about uh, the waste. He says, no, they haven't. They actually just opened up a nuclear site in Illinois. Good. Because it would be foolish of, of, of people to just consider something totally wrong and off limits because we haven't figured out the problems yet. Maybe you put something on the shelf for a while. I understand that. But nuclear energy is a huge gift from God. Energy production is a wonderful example of mankind ruling and utilizing created things for good. Men, women, and children are supposed to rule the creation for God's purposes. And because of man's rebellion, people's success has been limited and it's even been destructive at times. But we're still to do it. Paul told us in Romans chapter 8 that the creation waits with eager longing. It waits for what? It waits for the revealing of the sons of God, us, Christians. For the creation, he says, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul tells us here that the creation wants to be set free from its bondage to futility. It wants to fulfill all of God's purposes for it. Since the fall it had been chained by the ankle, you might say. However, Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension increased its hope of liberty. All authority in heaven and on earth had been given to Jesus. All authority. And Jesus is the restorer of liberty. So now creation's Freedom gets realized whenever a person becomes a Christian 
to do the things God's way, every repentant sinner who becomes a child of God is an encouragement. Encouragement to the trees, leopards, ants, the rocks, and each element too. They are encouraged when God's people do what's right. Today is Palm Sunday. The Sunday Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. That's a great honor for a colt. No colt has ever had such an honor. Well, because the prophet Zechariah foretold this would be a colt, right? That, that he would come in peace, that Jesus would come in peace. It had to be a colt. It wasn't going to be a horse. That's how kings would approach. Kings would approach if they came in peace on a colt, on something lowly. Whereas if the king came in for war, he'd come in on a mighty horse with his men around him. Jesus came in on a colt. About 500 years prior to this, Zechariah, the prophet, he gave the people a picture of Messiah's coming. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Matthew in his gospel on Palm, about Palm Sunday, actually quotes this verse from Ze- Zechariah. So here comes the king. And his approach, it should evoke praise. The people should have rejoiced over Jesus, the son of David, for he offered peace. He would bring peace. Zechariah, back in that prophecy again, right in the next verse, went so far as to say that the king, as he comes, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule, it says in Zechariah still, will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the one coming in on the colt. This is what Zechariah said, how he would come in and then what he would do. It is time. Jesus, the son of David, is about to take his rightful seat on David's throne to establish peace on earth. And he will officially be installed at the ascension 47 days from right here, from this day. I want to read now from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. You can get the picture. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent went ahead and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road, and when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus' teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Those are some stubborn Pharisees. They should have rejoiced over Jesus. Men, women, children, they have it in them to rejoice. We do. We are people. It's how God made us. We communicate our love and respect and intentions. We talk. We shout. We sing. We watch. We think. We lift our hands. We dance. We animate. We animate. God made us in His image. And many in Jerusalem and the area are exalting the Lord. The crowd of people spreading their cloaks, palm branches, shouting joyfully, dancing and moving with him in procession, the excitement, it fills Jerusalem. So when the Pharisees want Jesus to tell his disciples to simmer down now, simmer down, he replies, they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's a wonderful way to put it. Jesus speaks in hyperbole. Hyperbole, what is that? It's a figure of speech exaggerating something. It's not literal. It exaggerates something. And in this case... The stones won't really cry out, will they? Because you see, when you're dealing with Jesus, you never know for sure. Jesus personifies, okay, these stones or anthropomorphizes or whatever, the inanimate. Stones don't cry out, stones don't move. To suggest that the rocks will do things only people do and take over and begin cheering if he stops the people from it. Unlikely. But you can picture, if you stand back in all of world history, right? If you can stand back from the beginning of time and the purposes of God, you can picture the rocks, pregnant and ready to burst forth with this king coming, dilated to 10 centimeters, here it comes. 
You can feel the pressure, can't you, throughout the, the city? And thankfully, the people are releasing the pressure through their praise. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Look, um, Paul told us creation has been groaning or had been groaning, waiting, as in childbirth, more personification. And now here is the Redeemer coming in on this colt and the Restorer and humans are being told to keep quiet. You can imagine the stones, almost, with all their other creatures around about and things saying, get out of the way. What are you, stupid? Here is the one you've been waiting for. He makes all things new. What if every animal could talk? Plants and trees and hills, too. What if they could talk? Maybe, maybe not talk, per se, but that we could hear them in some way, by some sense. Like, like you feel you know what your cat is thinking, right? Or, or your dog. Well, imagine you have that same sense about the willow tree in the backyard here. Or a hummingbird. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's thinking. Or a mountain peak. Or a chunk of two-by-four laying in your garage. Certainly, we must guard against animism animism. Many have been misguided by holding such views of God's creation, animistic views. We don't believe other created things have personhood. Only those made in God's image are people. And so Jesus is using a figure of speech, right? Personification, when he warns the stones will cry out. Stones aren't people. And Paul, too, uses that grammatical device when he describes creation as having eager longing. Eager longing? Groaning in labor pains? under its futility. Both are using language figuratively. But, here's the big but, it does not erase or it does not erase an implied truth bound up in what they're saying. Here's the truth. 
Both Paul and Jesus are suggesting that it's not just people who are relieved. It's not just people who, in a sense, are restored by the Son of God. But all of creation is made whole again. Walt Disney has inspired many children and their parents by animating mice into heroes. Evil cats, birds that flit about and tend to young girls, broomsticks that clean like a maid, motherly teapots, friendly cups, servant-hearted candlestick holders and clocks, and on and on. It's a wonderful world of Disney. And the delight of it is that you feel harmony can exist. Things can work together. Within the created order, all the way. Except, of course, those people and creatures that are on the wrong side and will lose in the end. The rest of us will be good. Dancing with a chipmunk and petting a willow branch. We want that kind of world on some level. And it sparks our imagination that created things can work together. Imagination is an important thing. Scientific developments don't take place without some, someone wondering, what if? What about? This whole idea of getting along with the creation, I use the word getting along a little bit in a, that same anthropomorphic way, all right? It makes me think of my brother Mitch. I shared the gospel with my brother Mitch when he was a man, younger man. He passed away some time ago, but he became a Christian and was one for many years. And his conversion was incredible, okay? It was a change of a life, the revelation of what God wanted was stark to how he'd always thought life was supposed to be. In any case, he was transformed by God. Different man. And I remember while he was still young in the Lord, he told me that he was preaching the gospel to the mice in the house that he rented. I asked him, what do you mean? Why are you preaching to the mice? He told me that he read that the gospel gets preached to every creature under heaven. Colossians 1, 23. Funny. I told my brother what I thought Paul meant. But I figured, what could it hurt? And I do miss him. 
back to Disney. Disney scratches an itch for us. Harmony with all creation is the, is the goal to the glory of God. But we understand that people are persons. And we should not be animists who think of beavers and trees and iron ore and teacups as persons, right? Imagination's one thing. Animism is quite another. That being said, there is a practical truth to be honored when Jesus says figuratively, the stones will cry out. For we must believe that creation wants, okay, I'll put it in that quote mark, wants the sons of men, people, to rule it and subdue it and improve it. God wants that. They want it. Want it. We've done it with the tiny Adam. If Jesus showed us that, what lies ahead? Think of how readily the creation complied with Jesus' desires. He decided water should turn into wine. It did. He wanted to feed thousands with five loaves and two fish. It multiplied to make it happen. The water refused to engulf him when he chose to walk on it. You might say it complied. Even those created demons scurried away when the Lord rebuked them. Yeah, the uh, earth and heavens have been listening to him, doing everything he's commanded since forever. So if it hasn't all been right, and it hasn't all gone the way it should seem to go, why is he holding back? And yet Jesus told his disciples that they would do even greater things than he did by faith. And they did, and and we can. But if we, sorry, but it won't be those unbelieving Jews, those Pharisees in the crowd and all the rabble that they stirred up to crucify the Lord. It won't be them who will do these greater things, those who refused him. Those unbelieving Jews who plotted his death and chased after his disciples for many decades afterward, it won't be those that he will work through and conquer the nations and change the world. They will not find support or gain compliance either from the created order. They are the types who frustrate creation. They frustrate creation. All unbelievers frustrate 
the order to some degree. And even we do, don't we? By our sin, we frustrate the created order. In fact, of those rebellious people, Jesus predicted destruction. It says in verse 41 and 42, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And do you know what kind of language he turns to in the Olivet Discourse? You know what kind of language he uses and says and describes that will come upon them, right? It is not the good language of creation, but it is the language of decreation. Hear that. It is the language of decreation that he preaches to them. The language of creation sounds like this, Genesis 1, 16 through 19, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. That's the language of creation. That's good stuff. Those lights were placed firmly for us. The sun, the moon, and the stars, they are good for mankind. They are good for all creatures. But for those Jews who refuse the Son of God, they would be undone. They would be broken apart. So for them, Jesus uses the metaphoric language of decreation. Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. That's not literal. That's figurative. But it's true for them. This is the future for those whom he often wanted to gather as a hen gathers her chicks, but they refused him and killed him. So in 70 AD, they were left. Their nation can anticipate decreation. 70 AD, they were left without a temple, without sacrifices, without a priesthood, without a king, without a city, and without hope. The language of decreation. You've got to understand that or you're still going to be reading Matthew 24 and 25 all wrong. But you and I, because of the gospel brought to us, what do we do? Well, we spend our lives spreading our cloaks down and putting palm branches on the ground. We show him honor, don't we? We should, in all we do, show him honor. The created order responds well 
to such people. And when you've got nation or a country filled with such people, that country prospers. Things seem to fall into place. That kind of country leads the world. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Friends, this is the triumphal entry and Jesus Christ was and is the fulfillment of the promise and the prophets. We get it. And be sure, every molecule that goes together to construct the entire rest of creation, every molecule gets it too. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and I ask that we would be um, eager worshipers, that we would be eager people who are made in your image, that we would be eager people to take dominion and rule in the earth and appreciate all that you've given us in creation. You are a great God and a great King.